Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It is now the seventh day of December 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording for the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Los Angeles Dodgers center fielder Jock Peterson, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. Well, I haven't done a Red Sox podcast in a while. I've dropped some references to the Red Sox from time to time, as I tend to do, but people get on me for talking too much about the Red Sox and the Giants, my two favorite teams, even though both the Red Sox and the Giants both made the damn playoffs this year, and both have won the World Series in the course of me doing these 1,500-some-odd shows in a row. But alas, I hold back these days, and you've heard me do podcasts on all different teams in this offseason, so you'll forgive me if I go ahead and do a Red Sox podcast today. Woohoo! The Red Sox... Pulled off a trade today. And this is a trade that I think is an interesting trade. It is a trade that could be, oh, could completely transform the American League race this year, going going into 2017. And it could have a profound effect on another franchise. Now, Chris Sale was up for sale. And, you know, look, you got to say that. His name is Sale. You know, if his name was like Lou Trade, oh, geez, should I mention it? You know, Steve Free Agent. Ah, I can't, you can't, can't mention it. No, Chris Sale. And Chris Sale has been one of the best pitchers in baseball in the last, uh, let's just say, five years. Five years with the Chicago White Sox putting up tremendous numbers, coming basically right out of college. They drafted him. He was in the major leagues and pitched 20 games out of the bullpen in 2010. By 2011, had a very good year out of the bullpen. And I wonder if that's going to be ever a, a new template, that you bring someone up and say, hey, look it, he threw 71 innings in his first full season in the major leagues. And by the next year, he was up to 192 innings, was an all-star, and was a top six all-star pick in 2012, and it was in the top five in the, uh, I mean, top six Cy Young pick, sorry, and it's been in the top five of the Cy Young vote in every year that I've done this podcast, 13, 14, 15, 16, and he has been, you know, led the league in strikeouts one year, led the league in uh, complete games this year, um, and has has highest uh, strikeout per nine innings and strikeout per walk ratio, has just a tremendous pitcher who was being wasted on, you know, a a White Sox team that really went for it a few years ago, and when it fell apart, well, then it was time to retool. Now, Sale is signed, uh, he's under control next year, and he has team options in 2018 and 2019. Uh, I don't know the logistics of that. I have a feeling that they kick in if he gets traded or something like that. Either way, he's under Red Sox team control for the next few years, as is David Price, 
as is Rick Porcello, who somehow won the Cy Young Award this year. All of a sudden, you have three pitchers at the top of the rotation, and that's not taking into account Stephen Wright. That's not taking into account Eduardo Rodriguez. At the top of the Red Sox rotation, all of whom have had great success recently, all of whom, when healthy, throw a bunch of innings, all of whom would be the number one starter on a lot of teams. I know David Price had a down year, but, you know, we could adjust. Now, as friend of the podcast Dick Stevens asked on Twitter, would they be making this move if David Price pitched like an all-star last year? I bet they would. I bet they would because this is a little bit of how Dombrowski wants to put his team together. Remember, he put together the Marlins. And when he had the Marlins, he had a stacked starting rotation. Don't forget how good a pitcher Kevin Brown was. He was really good. And brought in Al Leiter, who flourished in Florida. And then brought in Alex Fernandez as well. He saw the use of having a stacked rotation and did the same thing by developing Verlander and Porcello and Scherzer, trading for Scherzer and eventually bringing in Price and bringing in Annabelle Sanchez when he was running Detroit. And so now here he is. He's brought in two of his former Tiger pitchers and Price and Porcello and is basically... So, well, did he get? I don't. I can't remember if he made the trade for Porcello or not. No, no, that was actually the previous regime. Got to give credit where credit is due. But this is the after effect of letting John Lester walk. They let John Lester walk, and since then have brought in. You know, Price was a free agent. Obviously, Sale is a trade, and Porcello was basically what they got for Lester. Trading Lester for Cespedes, trading Cespedes for Porcello. Now, as they go into the the new era of the Red Sox, which features absolutely zero players from the 2004 squad, you can look at this team, and, and, and fewer and fewer players from the 2013 world champion, you can see that the team is looking forward to the future as they have a homegrown outfield of Ben Attendee, Betts, and Jackie Bradley Jr. They have uh, Xander Bogarts still at shortstop and up the middle along with uh, Pedroia. They have a bunch of players there who are seasoned. Some of them have already played in the World Series. All of them have played in the postseason. Now, if Panda can slim down, and they're showing all these pictures of him you know, working out and eating salad... They can look around and say, okay, how are they going to replace Big Poppy With a tremendous starting rotation. You go into 2017, if the Red Sox starting pitching can hold their own, and each of those pitchers, I say, have a good year, not even a great year. If they have a great year, then this is going to be a team like the Atlanta Braves in the mid-80s. But if they have merely a good year, Then, this is a team that you can say, yeah, they could go out and win back-to-back divisions. This is now the team to beat in the American League East, and they already were the American League East division champions. 
So I, on the first glance and first blush, I really like this trade. I like this trade also because you're not putting the pressure on sale to be the dominant ace. Porcello, who, as I said, I would not have given the Cy Young Award to this year, has a Cy Young, as does Price. In a way, things could work out that Sale could be the number three pitcher on the Red Sox. It also takes a little pressure off of Price. Again, Price, Price is right, all the stuff you could say. What a Toledo. Stephen Wright, he's pitching so right. There's so many horrible puns. If nothing else, Dombrowski is putting together a staff that could just put the worst puns and headlines you'll ever see of a baseball starting rotation. But I'm happy with this. If the goal is to win right away, and they look up and they say they have a team that can win right away, and it's not a one-shot wonder. As I said, those three pitchers, Parcello, Wright, and Sale are under control for the next few years, and a lot of the young players I just mentioned haven't even reached their free agency year yet. So Red Sox fans, this is not going to be like 2013 when you have a bunch of players you know are just there for the short term. They're there as a quick fix, and we love that team, but they were pretty much all gone by the end of 2015. This is a team that is coming off of a playoff season, albeit one where they had a quick exit, and are going forward with a very, very strong starting rotation. Hopefully we'll get a nice year out of Kimbrell, out of the closer role. And you can look at the team and say, well, look it. They don't need to sign a big, huge hitter. They don't need to get the big thumper in the middle of the lineup, as nice as that would be. They'll have a full season out of some of the, like, out of Ben Attendee, a full season out of Betts, and maybe, just maybe, you can look at them, compare them to the Yankees, who are, again, a young, you know, putting together a young squad. I picked the Red Sox over the Yankees. I picked the Red Sox over um, Tampa. So then you can look at how Toronto and Baltimore are together in, you know, it's going to be a good, solid three-team race. And, yeah, I think the Yankees will contend as well. But it's a smart move for the Red Sox because they can go for it. They can go for it big time. And this is one thing that Dabrowski certainly has shown in the past, that he's willing to trade young asses, trade prospects, not hoard prospects, and try to put together the best product on the field. And sometimes that means parting with a young player, but sometimes parting with that young player, even if they blossom, can be a smart thing. Team, trades can work out for both teams. Hell, look at Hanley Ramirez, who's back with the Red Sox now, came up as a Red Sox prospect and was traded to bring in a pitcher in, in the trade that sent to several prospects to, to Florida, and it brought back Josh Beckett, who... I know it ended badly for Josh Beckett, but he basically pitched them to the World Championship in 2007. And they threw in uh, um, the uh, Mike Lowell's terrible contract with it, and Lowell became a World Series MVP and a beloved Red Sox along the way. If they can get a couple really good years out of sale right at the top, it's not a big honking long contract. They're going for it. 
They're going for it big time to win another pennant and maybe even another title before this decade's up. Wouldn't it be something as a Red Sox fan to see, hey, we're now expecting uh, two titles a decade. We want 20% of the world championships for each decade. Well, they already got one. They're going for one in 2017, 2018, or 2019. Man, we are greedy. Now, the fact that it's not a long-term contract for sale is also a good thing for the Red Sox because it comes down to a question as he's had this wonderful start to his career. Let's go to BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. And we see some of the pitchers that he is most similar to. And you see some pitchers like, um, you know, Cole Hamels' name is on here. Jake Arrieta's name is on here. David Price's name is on here. That's all great. There's two names that really stick out as kind of warning signs. Tim Lincecum and Johan Santana. Now, remember, there was a period in both of their careers, Santana and Lincecum, where they looked like Hall of Famers. Multiple Cy Young Awards, uh, bringing, you know, having their team go to the postseason. Th- these were guys who were putting up the numbers. They were like, man, if they keep this up, they're going to be rehearsing their Cooperstown speech. And neither one of them are going to get to Cooperstown because they both fell off the table. Their careers fell off the table big time. Now, granted, when they caught, when they were able to capture their magic, they were spectacular. And Sale, who was a violent delivery and everything like that, you look at it and you go like, oh boy, he could be a Glavin, uh, you know, he could be a Kershaw, he could be one of those Hall of Fame pitchers who do it for the long haul, or he could be one of those whose career just goes like that. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, he was great for about five or six years, but oh, then, then, it, then it ended. You see the history of baseball, even in recent years, littered with pitchers like that. You're like, oh, man, for, for a brief period of time, they were one of the best pitchers in baseball. But then it got kind of ended. Think of Fernando Valenzuela. You know, think of Frankie Sweet Music Viola. Think of Dave Stewart. Think of some of the pitchers who, for a brief period of time, was truly one of the elites. I mean, I can't think of two better examples than Lincecum and Joanne Santana. And people have been looking at sales delivery going, oh boy, he could be a big-time risk in, you know, injury risk and a risk injury. Either one. And also, let's not forget the fact that he ran around the clubhouse with a pair of scissors cutting up jerseys. You know, that sort of crap may fly in the south side of Chicago with everyone having their attention pointed to the north side in a year like this. That's not going to fly in Boston. You know, if he is at all a head case, you know, if he is at all, you know, too high strung, Boston could eat him alive. There have been plenty of superstar players who have come to Boston and felt like, oh boy, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not sure I dig this. Not sure this is my cup of tea. Now, I hope it is for sale. And, I, and 
it's as smart a move as you can make for the Red Sox because of the short-termness and the fact that this makes them jump to the front of the line in terms of big-time contenders for the American League pennant. I mean, right now, you'd have to say it's neck and neck between Cleveland and Boston, right? It is, I mean, the Red Sox are putting their flag in the middle of the table saying, okay, we want in. Now, let's look at the White Sox, who have basically said, who a couple of years ago, when they made a big push for it, it didn't work. So now they're saying, all right, let's rebuild. It's a smart move for the White Sox for this reason. I I haven't completely gone over the collective bargaining agreement, but it's clear that the days of giving your player a qualifying offer and hoping to pile up the draft picks when they leave, those days are going to be over. And what they got for sale is better than if they had let them walk. They got four players instead of two draft picks for them. One of them is already made it to the majors, and Johan Mancata. Now, let's talk about that for a second. The Red Sox have been touting, now who knows, maybe they were inflating Johan Mancata's stock and everything like that. These are things I don't know. One thing I do know is the Chicago White Sox now have a 22-year-old infielder who was unclear where his position was going to be with the Red Sox. Obviously, they were trying to turn him into a third baseman. He could be a second baseman now. He could be a third baseman. He could be an outfielder. But he's one of the best offensive all-round players from the minor leagues of the last few years, and the White Sox now have him. Not as a someone's like, okay, let's develop them through our system. No, as a ready to just plunk right there in the major leagues, boom, stonk, there he is. And I don't want to hear people whining if he starts the season in AAA in Chicago because we all saw that that can sometimes be a smart move. The Cubs are going to get an extra year out of Chris Bryant because of that. So just you know, let him let him rebuild. And the other, I mean, some of the other players they got, I don't know how to pronounce Michael Kopech's name. I hope I said it right. Kopech? Kopech? Either way, he's 20 years old and has already made it to the highest level of A ball. He's ready to make the jump to double A. At 21 years old, he'll be a double A pitcher who has shown that he has done well in each of the levels that he's come to pitch. If Moncada can be the player that people expect him to be, an all-around, everyday major leaguer and potential all-star. And, God, I mean, what is his name again? Kopech, Kopech. I used to know how to pronounce minor league players' names. If he is a major league pitcher, even a back of the rotation, then you can say, hey, look it, they got these two players in exchange for sale. Now, throw in... Victor Diaz, who is another, how old is he? He's 23 years old, working up the single-A ladder as a relief pitcher. If he can make the majors as a reliever, then there you go. Also throw in Mr. Luis Alexander Basabe. I have no clue if I pronounced that name correctly. But he also made it to the highest level of a ball, and he is an outfielder with speed and with some power, and is a switch hitter. What the White Sox are doing right now 
is essentially adopting the rebuilding methods of the Houston Astros. When the Astros started trading players away, they traded everything that wasn't nailed down, they traded quantity as well as quality into their farm system. Every trade they made brought two or three players into their system. Even if it meant trading for someone who was a little lower in the system. And you think about what I just said. They, weren't, they got one player who is ready-made to put in the majors and three others who are in high A, double A. Which means this. Their system, instead of getting two players they could put right at the major league level, you get one player in, three players slightly down. They're going to be trading everyone else, whether it's Abreu, whether it's Quintana, and you're going to see the same thing. They're probably going to wind up trading player for players who are in that high A level, which means they may get a really good player who isn't quite as developed. But if they get a ton of them, and it means they're going to have a couple of crap seasons along the way, but those players can blossom at more or less the same time, you may find yourself in a situation that the Houston Astros are in now or the Washington Nationals are in now where the players blossom at the same time and you got yourself a playoff team. I think the Houston Astros are going to be a very strong team next year. The White Sox are conceding the city of Chicago to the Cubs right now, and that's probably not a bad move. In fact, their slogan should be, hey, can't afford to see Cub games? We're Major League Baseball, too. Come down and see us. Come see minor leaguers wearing White Sox uniforms. You've seen this happen when teams decide to trade for quantity that it could turn around relatively quickly. And if you're the White Sox, you know what I had said earlier. Remember about Lincecum? about Johan Santana? Remember what I said about them? How quickly it can turn? How quickly they can fall apart? How fast a superstar pitcher can suddenly become someone you're like, oh man, it's so sad to see them fall apart. And you rooted for them. Oh, I rooted so badly for Lincecum and for Santana. I was a huge fan of both of them. And they both got no hitters in part of their, their comeback. Like, oh, they're back being great again. They're back being great again. Kind of like Fernando Valenzuela. Got a no hitter later in his career. Like, oh, he's great again. He's great again. But no, it was a flash in the pan. It was a fluke. The White Sox know that. And they know that if the Giants had traded Tim Lincecum in 2010 or 2011, they would have gotten a huge bounty. Now, it would have been, Giant fans would have been up in arms, and the fact that Lincecum contributed to the 2012 World Championship and threw a no-hitter in 2014, which was another World Championship year, you know, it, it warmed the cockles of Giants hearts fans. I, I don't know if those words were in the right order. What I'm saying is I don't think Giant fans regret that Lincecum pitched for the team through the 2015 season and left and had a pretty terrible comeback with the Angels. But if they had traded him, they could have gotten a ton. And that's exactly what the White Sox did. Short term, all good for the Red Sox. All good for the Red Sox. You know, I mean, it's going to be sad to see Yo Mancana go, but do you know what? Sale at the top of the rotation 
feels so good. Feels so good, feels so good. And they know that this isn't, that six years from now, Sale if, is not going to be on the team. So this is a short-term goal. It's like, let's go for it. Let's try to win again. Let's win another championship. And they did it without giving up Ben Attendee. They did it without giving up Mookie Betts or Jackie Bradley Jr. or Sander Bogarts. Think about what they didn't have to give up. I mean, when I heard they got sale, I thought, well, there goes Ben Attendee. You know, I mean, you could think, of, hey, if they had traded Moncada and Ben Attendee for sale, those would have been two sexy young players going to Chicago. Like, hey, we got our infielder of the future and our outfielder of the future, and they, and blah, 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 blah. Instead, the Red Sox have their young outfield intact, have their young infield almost entirely intact. Moncada was not really a factor on the 2016 AL East champion Red Sox, and they've kept the AL East champion Red Sox for the most part intact. Travis Shaw was traded away, but and, and David Ortiz is gone. Okay, all right, Ortiz gone. That's a, that's a minor detail. But the rest of the team is there. So this, in a way, is a huge short-term move. And a great short-term move. And a way to sort of say, hey, one of the advantages of having a great farm system is you can pull off the blockbuster deal. That being said, it could very well be a really smart move for the White Sox. Not now. Not 2017, not 2018. Hell, probably not even this decade. But if we look up at 2020, we'll be able to say, hey, wait a minute. White Sox came out pretty good in that trade. And if you thought you could make some bad headline puns out of sale and price, just wait till we get to the year 2020. Hindsight, this, oh my God, I can't even, you don't even want to think about it. But there we go. The Red Sox are going for it. And for those of you who listen to this podcast day in and day out and think like, oh boy, I hope the Sox aren't in it because Sully can't shut up about them. I hope you savored 2014 and 2015 when the Red Sox were bad. Because I'm thinking, they may be good again. And the White Sox, well, my goal right now of this podcast is keep doing this day in and day out until we see how the long-term effects of this trade affected the White Sox. I stumbled over it at the end, but do you know what? I do that from time to time. Do what I also do from time to time. I record a podcast about baseball. So go to sullybaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Looking at the sale from socks to socks, and I hope he doesn't cut up the throwbacks. This has been the Chris Sale Going to the Red Sox edition of the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 7th day of December 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sullivan.